Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. You can also find us at our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com. And please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Hello, Louise. Hello, Sarah. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode. We are reading The Mistress's Daughter by A.M. Holmes. And we've gotten to an interesting part (laughs) of her journey where she starts talking to her birth father, Norman. Yeah, he's a really interesting guy. I mean, to say the least, he is. I liked um, how, you know, when when she was going to meet him, they were meeting at the lawyer's office, like yes. a neutral territory. And she sees someone walk in and she's like, is that him? You know? And, and it's like, anyone could be him. He could be anyone. This is what it's like when you don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. And Which she brings is, up know, that. We that all yeah. went through that. It's, she brings lives. up that little children's book. Are you my mother? Are you my mother? Mm-hmm. Are you my mother? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like a little kid waiting there. And the lawyer's office is a little bit poignant too, because that's where he met with the bio mom to like Mm -hmm. arrange everything. He's big on meeting at his lawyer's office, which tells you a lot about him. Yes. Yes. He's a complicated person. (laughs) And the way she writes, you know, it's just, it's just so, I mean, she wrote this so many years ago Uh, and I'm thinking she hadn't had in-depth conversations with other adoptees. So just, I, she had read up on, and by this point, maybe she had met BJ Lifton. I'm not sure, but there, there were a couple of things in here where she talks about. Yeah. Uh, reading, reading about the complications of seeing your father and how you'll feel and having those attraction issues. Yes. Which she didn't actually come out and say, but just that no. those thoughts run through your head, you know? Yeah. I can totally um, see that. Well, and when she met with you and I on the podcast, I felt like it was one of the first times she's talked to two adoptees a lot. Mm-hmm. In you depth, know, like in, in that depth. really deep Yeah, like way we used to talk all the time, but not in depth. Like we would just Because we didn't it. know. It's so, no. you know, it's just so, I was talking to someone over the weekend about adoption and just, and then thinking about my brother, Todd, you know, that mm-hmm. he, I don't know that he's ever talked in depth to anyone about it. It's such a relief and release to have this now and have this community. And it really is. I always thought my mind was just swimming with like crazy thoughts Mm -hmm. or does anyone see who I really am and all these things. And then when you and I started talking deeply about it, I'm like, Oh, this is huge. And how did we not for so long, we would skirt the issue. It's just, well, because we were still, you know, I hate to say in the fog, but we were, we were there and we didn't, we were still sort of loyal to the Protective. idea of mm-hmm. adoption being such a wonderful thing. We were yeah. still loyal to that idea. And now our eyes have been opened like, oh, wait a minute. You know, there's a lot of complexities here. A lot of, yes. it isn't, that isn't true. You know? No, so. it's very layered. What else jumped out well, of you? Once again, we always talk about her humor in the writing. So if you're reading <laughs> along, how about... When she first talks to her dad, there's a part where he says, I feel like a foreign diplomat exchanging official gifts. Tell me a little bit about you. I say, I'm not circumcised. He tells her, (laughs) (laughs) okay, maybe it wasn't the first thing he said, but it was certainly the second. My grandmother was a strict Catholic. She had me baptized. I'm not circumcised. (laughs) And she said, it's a strange information to have about your father. We've just met and he's telling me about his dick. (laughs) <laughs> I, know. I, don't, I was so unprepared for that. I was like, wow. <laughs> she, I had remembered that from when I read it all those years ago. The other thing that about her birth father, which I found so off-putting, which she writes so well about is just how much he talks so poorly of her, oh. of her birth mother, who was 15 years old when he started having an affair with her. I mean, think about and he was 32. Age. Yes. That's gross. It's gross. Yeah, because he makes it like she was was a little tramp or something. The 1960s. It's gross. It is gross. She was a child. And he's still fascinated by her. Wants to know what she's doing. Almost obsessed. obsessed. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a lot in here. There was some great quotes about how oh, you feel. Oh, and then feel. when, he said, when yeah. he said to her, well, I would have taken you to a nice lunch, uh-huh. but you know, you're not, you're not dressed right or whatever it was he said. Like, it's funny you have that look. I have this whole thing judging. Yeah. Like, like he had this whole judging. They went to get their DNA tested, which again, he's like, I'll pay for it. And she's like, okay, I don't <laughs> thank you for this gift. And she has to have proof for his wife. Which when yet who knows look, if that was even true. Well, yeah. we'll come that'll be revealed. We'll find out. And they look exactly alike. She said it's the, like the seeing same her, ass. The same ass. <laughs> the first time I the, recognize that ass. Yeah. <laughs> I love that part. You guys have to read this. Listeners. Listeners, yeah. The part she says that she's never seen her body on somebody else. Yes. I think that's really interesting. When I first met my bio cousins, I remember looking at all of them and we have the same body structure, good and bad. Mm -hmm. And I said something like, oh, this. And they said, we all have that. Like, you know, funny. Like, And that's a weird thing to see your body on somebody else. Now I see it a little bit through my son, but at this time, you know. When she was that age. dad's body, but we have, you know, our, for me, it was like the, the, like when I first met my birth mother and sisters, like the oh, yeah. faces, you know, like my face on someone else, my hand it's, movements yes. on someone else. You know, this weekend I was with my family and my stepmother, we were looking, she was showing me pictures of this trip that they went on. And there was a picture of my stepsister, one of my stepsisters and my stepmother said, oh, I really think she looks so much like Elliot in this picture, which is our nephew. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder if it ever occurs to them that I never had that, right? Like that Mm -hmm. I, I don't look through family pictures in that family and there's nobody that that looks like me or I wonder, I don't even think it's such a natural thing for them. Something that they just are so used to. I was reading on adoptee Twitter today. Somebody said, when will people start understanding what it's like to be adopted. And I was thinking, you know, honestly, they can't, if you're not adopted, you can, you can understand it. Like we understand something we're not part of, but unless you have it, like my brother, he doesn't think about it when we're all looking at family pictures and, and I've gotten more aware of it, how everybody Mm -hmm. will share something and I'll be like, Oh, and then I'll, I'll think, wow, they all look so much alike and everyone's talking about it. And it's a, it's a very strange feeling now. It I've is. always had it, but now I'm really acutely aware of it. Yes. Acutely aware of it. Yeah. yeah. That's like, how I felt this week. And nobody does know this. Like they don't And know. I did show, I was showing my, I guess my stepmother and my dad, just a picture of Tilda when she was, I think, I, you know, I posted it to mm-hmm. her, she was holding oh my, my half yeah. brother and then I was holding Becker and we look remarkably alike in that picture. And I showed it's crazy. them like, oh. What was the reaction? Just like, oh. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Acknowledging. <laughs> That's an odd You thing. know, maybe it makes them uncomfortable. I would understand that. I don't, yeah. I don't know. We were also walking. Rather, I was hobbling from my broken toe. <laughs> <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> yes. What else? I like think? also what yeah. there was just, you know, back to that, him, him talking about the way she dressed and he, like his comment, like, you don't wear jewelry. And she says, I'm single. I live in New York City. I'm not wearing a dress. I know exactly what he's thinking. All right. <laughs> like he's such of an era, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, in her family, I love how she talks about the family she was raised with. They were, you know, vegetarians and they had artsy people and homosexual people. And you yes. wear flashy jewelry and you shopped at, you know, you cared about the environment. Yes. And she's just like, she just sits there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Like, how do you explain who you are? And I like, also, she said something that has to do with what we were just talking about. He says, tell me about your people. Yes. To her. He is so disassociated from her. That he's even her people. Right. Like, it doesn't, almost like he doesn't have, I don't know. That's interesting. I felt I had the same sort of. Wait, what's that mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then I did highlight this. You know, he says to her, how will you feel if the test comes back and I'm not your father? And she's like, you're my father. I wasn't positive before, but now seeing you and seeing your ass, my ass, I'm sure. (laughs) But she says to be adopted is to be adapted, to be amputated and sewn back together again. Whether or not you regain full function, there will always be scar tissue. The greatest quote. Yeah. It's amazing. I feel like we should end on that because that's like unbelievable. Yes. And, you know. 
clearly the DNA test came back. Yeah. He was her father. (laughs) And they had to have a big meeting about that too. Yes. A formal meeting, you know, it was also kind of interesting how they kept meeting in hotel lobbies. Yes. Motel lobbies, I guess. Well, not motels, but you know, she was wondering why. And I was thinking, cause he doesn't want to run into people. Right. Exactly. Like you're having an affair with your, you know, it's bizarre. Yeah. I'm excited to dig in. It's very hard for me to stop, but it's I find if I don't stop, I talk about the wrong section when we're. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes I go on a little bit yeah. further, I mean, but yeah. it's so good. Well, this it's is such awesome. A She's just such a fantastic writer. Yeah. I'm having fun with the memoir series and we're going to do other memoirs coming up. So make sure you're reading and we'll, yes. we'll, we're going to tell people ahead of time so you can buy the books and all of that stuff. And right. now we have a really great guest. She's got an interesting story. So stick around. See you soon. See you soon. Hey, we just want to give a shout out to all of our Patreons to say thank you. We are so grateful for your support and can't thank you enough. We're so close to being able to bring this podcast to you weekly. We just need a few more Patreons to get us there. So if you want to be one of those that pushes us over, we'd love it. You can go to patreon.com and search adoption, the making of me. So many people have reached out wanting to be guests and coming to you weekly will give voice to adoptees that want to tell their story. Your support will help us get there. Any amount is appreciated. Thank you. So we have another exciting interview today with an adoptee who has a memoir out that came out last May, pretty current, and that's called Healing Tree, if that's correct. And I would like to welcome Danielle Gaudet, and she's coming in from Seattle. Hi. Thank you. Hi, Hi Danielle. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm so happy to, to be here and have a chance to chat with you all. Thank you. And is that, that is the title of your book, correct? Yes. It's Healing Tree. And then the subtitle is An Adoptee's Story About Hurting, Healing, and Letting the Light Shine Through. I like that. We need some of that. a lot of that and so tell us your you know start with your story yeah where were you born and what were the circumstances Mm, okay sure yeah I was born in Manhattan New York and when I was 10 days old I was adopted by my adopted parents Beverly and Bob Gaudet who brought me right away to Massachusetts and was this a private adoption? Was it through an adoption agency? Like what and what year? Like Oh, yeah. I was born in 1977 and I was adopted through the Catholic Charity Bureau. Okay. Yeah. Mhm. It was private. It was a private adoption. And so they came down from Massachusetts and adopted me. So now it's, you know, telling the story is is funny because there's m- my story that I knew growing up Mm-hmm. And then after I reunited with my biological mother, and then I heard the whole like backside of the story, you know, <laughs> so I have the whole story combined in my brain. But so, yeah, she didn't expect me to be moved out of New York. I can kind of get to that part of the story later. But anyway, I didn't know that. And I don't think my parents knew that either. And so they came and I was took me to Massachusetts. I was raised in Watertown, Massachusetts. So I was mm-hmm. 10 days old when they picked me up. And were you the first child or the only adoptee, only child? I was the first child for them to adopt. And four years later, they adopted my younger sister, Renee, who's adopted from a different family. Yeah. So I grew up just me and her. And did they have fertility issues or? Yes. Just. Yes. So for whatever reason, there was some sort of fertility issue that it was just, it wasn't working. It wasn't working out. And so they decided to adopt. They had a cousin who had friends who had a connection to the adoption agency in New York. I was wondering how they got to New York. Yeah. 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 A man named Cardinal Cook. They had a connection. So when they asked their cousin who asked their friend, friend who asked their friend. Yeah. So that's how, that's how it came to be. Did you always know you were adopted? They tell you from an early age. Yeah. So I wrote all about this in my book. I mean, I didn't write a ton, just the story. Like they, they always told me growing up, it was kind of integrated into my upbringing. 
they would always say, you didn't grow. My mother would say, you didn't grow in my belly. You grew in another lady's belly. And then we came to pick you up. And, you know, they made it. They were very, very sweet and loving about it. They made it sound like a really good thing, like a great Mm -hmm. thing. You know, you're our adopted angel, they would always say. And I tell the whole story that they told me because they were really, really happy to be able to adopt. So I grew up in a really loving house. Both, they gave so much to me and my sister. My mother did struggle though with mental illness. It sort of kind of activated a little bit later when I was around six years old. So we did deal with that. So that was the hard aspect. So there was never any question about their love for me or my love for them, but that was a struggling point of my childhood for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. And another thing they told me, they told me that my biological mother was an actress and that's why she couldn't take care of me because she was pursuing her career. Uh, I can't. So now again, because there's so many parts of the story, I can't remember if there was anything more than that, that they said, but I had that information about actress in my head as well as I was growing up. So that was kind of just weird to know. And I had friends, you know, and especially in middle school, we'd all go home and, oh, she told me that she was an actress on a soap opera. Oh. So we'd, we'd all go home and like watch soap operas in middle school, you know, and then my friends would be like, maybe it's her, maybe it's her. And it was just kind of a, it was kind of a weird part of my growing up. I, I can't wait a- to hear if it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and if not, what an interesting thing to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It turned out that it was. So what happened was I knew that I could search right when I was like 18, but when I turned 18, I wasn't ready. I wasn't focused on that. It happened a little while later when I was about 20 years old, I was at the university of Iowa I was in Iowa City and I was kind of curious, right? I just felt, my case, I felt curiosity. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot more adoptee stories these days. Mm -hmm. I know everyone has their different feelings and reasons, but mine was that because I felt so close with my mother and my father that I was not really interested in a relationship with these people out there. It it seemed confusing to me and it seemed stressful, but I I wanted to know, you know, where did my face come from? Like all my friends are always talking about that. And people would always ask me, Oh, are you Irish? Are you Italian? Like what, you know, your name is French. Are you French? I was like, I don't know what I am. You know? Yeah. That was was hard for me in college. So that's when I really felt like I wish I could just get some pictures and try to put some pieces together here. And when you were growing up, did you have a lot of things that adoptees have, like a little bit looking back, maybe like disconnect of things or, you know, anything that you would attribute to the adoption? Does that make sense to you? I think I have lots of things from being an adoptee. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have many looking back. I was definitely a black sheep, but not because I wasn't emotionally connected. I was very emotionally connected to my family. I was just... I was a little actress myself, you know, I was the entertainer from my mother and I was always like putting on shows. So I just was a little bit outside of, you could just tell that I had my own little like thing going on. I was always like dancing and singing and entertaining everyone and putting on shows and things like that in my family unit. I feel like the adoption stuff came out in my like social world Mm -hmm. more is what I really see when I look back. Mm-hmm. Were you I close thought, to your sister growing up? Well, so we were about four years apart and we were different. You know, she was kind of a tomboy. She was always out with the baseball and the bike and the boys and the games. And I was always like with the book and dancing around my living room and writing a poem under a tree. So we weren't really super close. We had that gap. We'd gotten closer as we've grown older, but I was really close with my mother and father, and she was really close with my mother and father. So together. We were like, we were kind of on the same page, you know, we, we played well together. We fought well and played well together. And I think it was normal family stuff, but internally I was a little bit more introverted and shy. And then around other kids at school, I definitely started to feel different. I also wrote about that in my book, like Mm -hmm. in the second grade, I kind of declared 
Oh, I was the, the librarian was like talking about a book that was adapted, you know, and I was like, I was adapted, you know, I was <laughs> proud of it. <laughs> the librarian was like, I think you mean adopted, you know, in a, in a very kind way. But after that, that was when it was kind of revealed. That was just the second grade, but all the kids, I remember they came over to my desk and they didn't believe me. And I was like, is it strange? Is it weird? Why is this so surprising to people? And that that was the moment I started to realize that I was different. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was from that or what it was exactly, but I always struggled a little bit socially with insecurity, a lot of insecurity. And whenever the group and the kids were together, Mm -hmm. I was always kind of out. And I felt like left out or an outsider or a sense of not belonging. I had a strong sense of not belonging, like in school. Yeah. We've talked a lot about that. Even when we belong, we feel like we don't belong. It's like you're wearing a costume almost, you know, for me, I'll belong somewhere and think I don't really belong here. Why I'm in there. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. I also feel that I can see that as a thread of my life. This not belonging thing. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. So when you started to look, then what happened? You know, like you were in your 20s. And And how did you end up in Iowa from Massachusetts? (laughs) That's right. How did that happen? So actually, this story is going to get really interesting. But what happened logistically was I went to school my first year at the University of New Hampshire, which was just like an hour or two north from where I grew up. I wanted to be close to my parents. I wanted an easy commute. But I really had a horrible year. I did not enjoy my time at the University of New Hampshire. So I decided I needed to transfer. I happened to find a therapist that year because my mental health started to really unravel my freshman year of college. And I mean, to put it simply, I had a lot of anxiety, worries, and I had a lot of neuroses growing up, like hypochondriac, paranoid neuroses, like my fear level was really, really, really high. And it got bad my freshman year of college. So I went to a therapist and I hated like the environment that I was, I just was unhappy in school. And he was from Iowa. So he suggested Iowa. I loved creative writing. I wanted to be a writer from the time that I was like seven years old or eight years old. So he was like, you know, Iowa, University of Iowa has a great writing school because he in the my therapy with him, there was a lot of work around how I felt like I didn't belong and I didn't mm-hmm. connect with the other kids. I kept did telling he, him did I he bring up your adoption at all? He didn't. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting, right? Yeah. He did not. I just kept telling him, like, I wish that I did drugs <laughs> because <laughs> I was like lonely. And he was like, No, 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 you're good. This is the wrong direction. <laughs> let's, let's let's look over here at like something creative and outlet. So finally I decided to transfer at the end of that year to the University of Iowa because he gave me the referral and because I wanted to be a writer. So I thought if I don't fit in with the kids, if I don't belong, if I can't get this social thing down, at least I can focus on writing and what I want to do. It's funny how we end up at different places because of an adult influence, you know, like you end up in Iowa because of, yeah, it's so random. I know. It gets even more (laughs) weird than that. So I'm in Iowa. I decide to search and I. So is it like the early 90s at this point? I graduated from high school in 1995. I think I was in Iowa. This must be like 1998, it was 97 when I decided, okay, I'm going to write a letter to the Catholic Charity Bureau. That's where I'm going to start because I don't know what else to do, right? So I wrote a letter to the Catholic Charity Bureau. They sent me a letter right back. I remember this. This was like the fall of my junior year. No, my sophomore year. Anyway, it was the fall. They wrote me back right away saying all your files were burned in a fire. <laughs> We've heard this before, Sarah. There's been a couple fires. Have you a heard lot. this before? Yeah. yeah. Or maybe I read recently how, like, how many Catholic charities have fires. and Or do they? No, they don't. Know. Right. Or do they is really the... <laughs> or do yeah. they? That's why I'm like, what? Okay. Yeah. So that's really because I you know, got other information later and... My, my biological mother feels that there was no fire. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, I didn't know. I was like, okay, all right. I felt like Orphan Annie. Yeah. Okay, so, thank uh, you. Back like, to life. Right. <laughs> so they told me to write to the state of New York. So I wrote to the state of New York. I put the letter in the mail. So I was pretty strategic at this time because I was getting ready to travel abroad for a semester abroad mm-hmm. to go to Ireland. And I was going to come back to Boston the following summer to stay with my parents before I went back to Iowa. So I made the return address my parents' house in Boston. And had you told them that you were starting the search? Mm -hmm. I did. And they were okay with it. There was no pushback. They always tried to support me, whatever I did. They were always very, very supportive. Yeah. And so I went to Ireland. I turned 21 in Ireland. I came back. This is now the summer of 1998. And I asked my father if I got any mail from the state of New York. And he said that I did. Again, it's, I wrote it all in the book. Like it's a really, it was funny because my father just kind of managed that stuff in my house. You know, he just like piles of papers and things. And it was amazing that he just knew exactly where it was. He pulled it out. He gave it to me. And the letter said, even though you were born in New York, you were adopted through Massachusetts courts. So we can't help you, but we're going to give you this brochure for a company called the International Soundex Reunion Registry. Huh. Mm-hmm. I know about that. You do? Yeah. yeah. But Tilda was in that. Yeah. Ah. And they said, if you fill it out and one of your birth parents fills it Basically, you become a member when you fill out the brochure. If one of your birth parents are also members, this company will connect you. So I filled it out right away. I just like, all right, great. I gave it back to my mom. Like, can you drop it in the mail on your way to work? You know, he's like, sure. It was so easy. It was that easy. Two weeks later, I got a phone call. Yeah. Two weeks later. Wow. That is crazy. It was kind of crazy. And now more and more, I I started to say, as I kind of listened to more and more stories of adoptees and also my younger sister's story, which I won't get into, but it was like really hard for her too. So I saw how hard it could be. But for me, it was like, I knocked on the door and the door like went flying open. I kind of felt, and I sort of fell on my face is what I sort of felt in the end. Because a few weeks later, I got this phone call from this woman from the International Sound Extreme Registry. And she's just like, Danielle, again, I wrote this out extensively in my book, but she's like, we need you to gather any papers that you have related to your adoption because we believe that we found a match. And the weird thing was, so my memory is a little like blurry, but I... I remembered in the back of my head that my my mother or my father saying that they were going to pull out the papers that they had in my security deposit box or whatever, where they were holding them from my adoption, like papers that they had on my adoption that I never like saw those papers. You had never seen them before. No, I don't know why I never saw those papers before. Maybe I never asked to see them. I don't know why. Because I know that my parents had no bad intention or intention to like hide something. I think they read those papers and that's why they said, oh, your biological mother was an actress. But I never actually looked at the papers. I didn't question about the papers. So I go back to like the dining room table, which is all where all my father's piles of papers are. This lady's like, I'll hold, I'll wait, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, <gasps> I'm like searching through the papers. And then I find them. There's like a little Danielle pile, you know, and I find these papers. It's like the most disorganized, organized system that we had in my And they've been sitting there. They're just sitting there. They must have been pulled maybe when I was in Iowa. I didn't see them, right? Because I was in Iowa. I searched. I told my parents I was looking. I went to Ireland. I came back. Yeah. So they had been out, but I hadn't seen them yet. I was not back for long. I was maybe back for less than a month when this whole thing happened. So I find the papers and I start reading off to the lady what the papers say. And first of all, my biological mother is Irish. Uh, Like Ireland Irish? Yeah. I mean, she wasn't born in Ireland, but like her whole line is like 100% from there. So I had just gotten back from Ireland, right? So I was so shocked because it was weird that I even ended up in Ireland because I I had studied Spanish. So I'd planned to go to Spain, but I didn't 
feel, I didn't feel like I spoke Spanish well enough to survive for a semester over there. So I was like, I need to go somewhere where they speak English. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Ireland sounds good. That kind of sounds fun. And so I went. So I was shocked at that moment to discover that I was Irish. And then... So you're reading this live with the lady. So you're learning about yourself on the phone. (laughs) I'm on the phone with the lady. Interesting. With the papers, discovering, right, what I was. And then my biological father was Russian descent, heritage. I mean, so he was born in America, but his line is also like 100%. And, you know, Russian culture and literature was like my favorite subject in college. I was like enthralled by Russian people and history. You were drawn to that. Yeah. So I was like, so I was so shocked and very excited to find out that I was Russian. I was like, what? That's so cool. Because I was just somehow in love with that culture. And this was all in the adoption papers or this was was all on these papers because my biological mother had written everything out. So you had never seen these papers and never knew they existed. No. It's it's wow. just right there sometimes. It's, it's weird, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe if I had seen those papers, I wouldn't have need to I wouldn't have needed to search. I don't know. It's kind of weird how it happened that way. Anyway, yeah. So my biological mother had written all of it out. She had written that she was an actress and her mother was unable to help her take care of me. And that's why she was needed to give me up for adoption. And then both her and the natural father agreed together to do this. It was all written in the papers. Were they a couple or was it just? They were a couple. They were not married, but they dated for several years. And right at the end, as far as I understand it, as they were kind of ending, breaking up sort of things maybe weren't going very well. That's when she got pregnant. And I think that he was like, oh, okay. Well, I think he, you know, maybe offered to get married. He maybe brought up the idea of abortion, but she was just very strongly like, no, I'm done with you. I'm going to do this on my own. I got it from here. See you later kind of thing. So that's sort of what happened with them, I guess. But I mean, I learned a lot more later because what happened was, so this woman is like, we found a match. This woman is so yeah. excited. She's like, stay by the phone. I'm going to call your birth mother. Stay by the phone. So this just happens in real time like that. This is happening in real time. It's like no prep. It's like eight <laughs> o'clock. Yeah. So I'm having like a full on like nervous breakdown almost. I was like in full anxiety yeah, attack mode. Right. And so <laughs> no one's home. It's like eight o'clock in the morning. My parents went to work. My sister went to school. I'm on summer vacation. It was early. It was early in the morning. And then they called, she called me back. And this is, this part is where it gets, starts to all get really so funny. She says, she's so excited. Right. And she's like, we're so excited over here at the office. Do you watch Star Trek? (laughs) She asked me. I could barely even. This is the woman, the Soundex woman asked you if you watch Star Trek. Okay. The sound I'm only laughing because the woman that found me through my biological family was such a nut herself that I had to manage her while I was, yeah. So, so like, you can understand. Yeah. That. You're like, what? Okay, go yeah. on. Oh, I was like, I felt, I felt some like, I don't know, like a curtain drawing, like everything was getting really dark because I had so much anxiety. I just felt like I could hardly take it that this was happening at this yeah. moment. And I couldn't like take anything else. And then knowing all my life that my biological mother was like an actress on a soap opera, it just all came rushing over me. Like, no, please. No, 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 no. And you have like fangirl here. Like, oh, and you're like, this is my life. Thank you very much. Exactly. So what did Star Trek have to do with it? He's (laughs) like, well, your biological mother is Kate Mulgrew, Captain Catherine Janeway Ah. from Star Trek Voyager. And she's sitting in her trailer right now at Paramount waiting for you to call her. (laughs) That was the phone call. 
I was like, Danielle, that's crazy. It's crazy. I know and who that did is. that turn I out to Star be Star Trek? Yeah, well, I didn't watch Star Trek, but I know who she is. <laughs> did that turn out to be true? Yes, completely. Oh, she, so she was Mary Ryan on mm-hmm. Ryan's Hope. I don't know if you know Ryan's Hope, but that was the whole soap opera thing. She had gotten her job. She had like landed her job on Ryan's Hope. And very shortly after that, got pregnant. And then they wrote her pregnancy into the show. Now, in any of your viewing when you were young in middle school, was that one of the soap operas you looked at? I did not watch Ryan's Hope, but I did see the movie Throw Mama from the Train when I was maybe eight or nine years old in the movie theater. And she's in that movie. So that's bizarre too, right? That's right. Yes, it is. By the way, also that you were, she was pregnant with you on TV. Yes. That throws me a little. And so I don't know, like she wrote a memoir actually in 2015 called Born with Teeth, where she writes about her life and she writes about me. And she writes about how when she gave birth, she had to like have a fake baby on Ryan's Hope and like do a whole like monologue with her new baby. And she writes about how that was like something happened inside her because she had just given birth and never got to hold me. And then she had to do this monologue and she just was like, she felt, she said her, I forget exactly how she worded it, but like her spine was replaced with like a rod. She just became something so painful. And so she had to harden something inside of her to kind of. I'm sure that's out of body experience. Crazy. Yes. Why was she not allowed to hold you? Well, the story that I heard from her is that they were a little worried that she was going to change her mind. Maybe they were feeling that she was emotionally something. In her baby. And it might have been okay had she. It was her baby. (laughs) But it was a closed adoption. Already the papers were signed. Nonetheless, this is like. This is why. Problematic. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So she, in her book, she has a lot of like grievances towards the Catholic Charity Bureau Mm. and what they did. And then she was told that she was allowed to choose the family that she wanted me to be adopted by. But actually, I didn't go to that family. So when she found that out, because she sent a private detective to look for me when I was in high school. Oh, she did. But she was like trying to find me from maybe one or two years after I was born. Wow. Yeah. Which is why it was so easy for me, I think. Well, actually, the the background story of that is that she was living in L.A. and she had her career. And then she would come back to New York and visit periodically for also for work, for visiting friends, you know, she was at a, I think it was a charities that she went to, but every time she would come, she would go and she would visit the Catholic Charity Bureau. And she would try to speak to the woman there. Her name was Sister Una McCormick. She would try to talk to her about me. And Sister Una McCormick would say, you know, it's a closed adoption. We can't tell you anything. We can only tell you if she dies. Uh. And so Kate was, my biological mother was struggling a lot about that and eventually sent a private detective to just see if I... In all these years, she was struggling because she, she's, I just feel sad for her. Yeah. Yeah. So she was struggling. And then she went to a charity and she saw this woman, Sister Una McCormick, which by the way, is the woman who helped my parents adopt me. She's like a hero. She was like a a very positive household name growing uh, up. <laughs> and, and, and in Kate's life, she's public enemy number one. <laughs> exactly. Wow. But when she saw, she saw Sister Una at this charity and again approached her. And this time Sister Una said, all right, listen, I can't tell you anything, but I'm going to tell you this. She's looking for you now. Wow. Yeah. So she wow, she softened chills. a bit. So, and then she said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to drop off this brochure to the International Sound Expert Union Registry at your hotel. And I'm going to put one in the mail to her. And then it's in your hands. So she did make that connection. In the end, she did. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm so sure. So right, like yeah, you're saying, she, one year one year after you were born, she started thinking, I want to meet her. I want to know. I want to. Yeah, she told me that it was very, very hard for her and 
I don't know if it was one year, two years, not long after I was born, she started to feel like she needed to find me or find out about me. Yeah. It, it, How did that make you feel he- hearing that? Well, I mean, all of those things, I, I'm sure like it's much better than hearing something else or being rejected or something. I'm sure it went in somewhere, but that time of my life was so crazy. I really feel like, and again, I don't know about either of you or people you talk to, but after that reunion, after my reunion is when I really sort of, I was already mentally like kind of sensitive and I just sort of broke down. So even though I heard all this information and she came right away, four days later, she came to Boston. To see you. Yeah. And I met her. And then like later that summer, I went to LA and I met her, her sons. She had two boys and many people. I met these, you know, friends and coworkers. I met so many people and I was just like, I was in shock. I was Mm. in so much shock. And I don't know if you remember, like, I didn't want to have a relationship with, I kept saying to myself, I want pictures. I want to know my heritage. I feel like it will be too overwhelming to try to have a relationship with these people some reason it just really shook me well sarah and i we've discovered so much through this ourselves that you know you're when you're not prepared neither of us were prepared for a reunion either actually that's not true i, I mean oh, I, you were you were yes yes yeah i, I mean i it, and nobody canceled me but i no, wanted that's what i meant reunion and i and, wanted to have meet and you know yes right. so mm-hmm. so not having any like emotional preparation for how you're going to feel or digest or Hmm. it's big. I don't, most people don't. So you're kind of going into this very young, cold Turkey. Hardcore. Yeah. Most people don't have the preparation. The preparation. Right. -hmm. You know, you're not meeting with a therapist first and discussing how it could go and looking at all the. Yeah. No, there was none of that. It was very cold Turkey and it was very big because it just opened this world that, was very different from my world. And I wrote about this a lot in the book. I felt an extreme amount of, for some reason, guilt. Mm, I did feel that too. Did you feel that? I did. I my parents so much and I felt so torn. I just hated it. It was really hard. I felt a lot of guilt to my birth mother because I did, I've talked about this in the podcast, but I wasn't, I couldn't be as, as reciprocal as mm-hmm. she would like me to be. So I felt a lot of guilt about that. And just, you know, a lot of heavy feelings are, are put upon us Mm. purposefully or not. It it is the way it is. Yeah. I felt guilt on both sides. Yes. Right about that because I went to LA and I visited her boys and her world and they, your brothers. Yeah. Like those little guys, they like knew of me, you know, they were always wondering when they were going to like meet their big sister. She had told them about Mm -hmm. me. And so I felt guilty to them because they just, I couldn't help it, but they felt like strangers to me. And I knew they wanted me to play a part for them. And I, I wanted to play the part because that was just my heart. But I just, I felt at the same time, then guilt to my like sister and my parents, even though they didn't try to make me feel guilty, I just felt a loyalty to them. I felt overprotective of them. Like they were the people who really were there for me and cared for me. And like I have a mother, so it feels really weird to say this is my mother. And I I have a sister. I don't have brothers. So it feels weird to suddenly be like, I have brothers. I don't know. It was a huge loyalty feeling that I had to my adopted family. And how old old were you? You're 20? I was 21. Yeah. Yeah. It was really hard. And then in the trying to put myself back together again is when I really started to kind of, that's when I got involved in this kind of mind, body, spirit practice that I currently still do and teach and have taught for the past 20 years. Because in in doing that is when I really opened up about my primal wound more. Mm. Up till that moment in my life, I was not aware of how the adoption had affected me. And it all kind of this deeper wound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, it became a long journey of healing inside myself and with my biological mother. So, so you I, stayed in touch and mm-hmm. we stayed in touch. Yes, actually, I'm going to see her next week. <laughs> oh, so I see her usually about once a year, sometimes not with COVID and stuff, but 
And then <laughs> she came to Boston. She's like, oh, I I had your biological father's phone number. I, I always told him I would call him because I let him know I was looking for you. So do you want to go upstairs and call him? Huh. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I can't even explain how much I was spinning. I was like, sure, yes, because I was also very just... Pleaser. Like a yes person. Yeah. Most of us are. Join the yes club, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was another. Open and where does, where does, okay, so biological father close to him or do you see him or how does. Yeah, I talk to him a little bit less frequently, but we have a good relationship. He's on the East Coast. I've met him. I visited him a few times, several times. Yeah. And I know. You know, I've gotten to know his wife and his sons. He's also, they've adopted. He has a son from another marriage and then him and his current wife adopted a boy. So that's interesting. I've connected with all of them. Yeah. Do you talk to him about what you've learned through this for his adoption? I haven't talked to him that much. Yeah. So do you feel that these are your siblings? Just the way you talk about them, you're saying, oh, like his son, her boys. Do you still not connect them as siblings to yourself? Mm, as of now, I feel I feel like I pass over some huge hump. And now I feel like this is my birth mother. This is my birth father. And these are my half brothers. Yeah. I feel connected to them in that way. Yeah. I still feel like my mother, my father, my sister, that's like my family. But then I have this kind of extended families, our birth families, who I've just, they were strangers to me when I met them 24 years ago. And I've just been getting to know them. Yeah. Over time. Yeah. Does, have, did your adopted parents, did, have they met both sides? Uh, who have they met and have they been? Yeah. So that was a big crazy, you know, that whole time right after that crazy phone call. And then I had a, a crazy phone call with her, Kate. They're like, wait by the phone. She's going to call you. She called me. So it turned out in that phone call, she's like, Danielle, why are you at school in Iowa? She asked me, <laughs> Good question, oh Sarah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> she grew up in Dubuque, Iowa. Wow. So her mother and her brother in the oh. farm where she grew up was literally 20 minutes away from my campus. You do have some weird sliding door things there. Yes. Ireland, the Rus- you're interested in Russian history and literature in Iowa. That is very interesting. So weird, right? It was all so weird. And then she came four days later. And at first I met her, we had a dinner. The next morning, my mother and father and her and Kate and myself, we had a breakfast. And then later that day, we had a big dinner with like my grandparents and my aunts and uncles. And it was just one overwhelming experience. I'm sure. Yeah, it was very overwhelming. My, yeah, I'm overwhelmed. I'm I'm 54 and I'm overwhelmed hearing it. I'm like, (laughs) it gives me anxiety. All the, all of it at once like that. Going back to, she had a different family in mind. And then did she tell you about that? And like, did you ever find out, was it just the Catholic charities being duplicitous or? Yeah, something. I don't know what happened there. I feel sorry for that family who she said she spoke with them. She chose them because she had certain things in mind that she wanted, right? She wanted me to be in New York City. She wanted me to be raised Catholic. She wanted me to be raised by like an artist. Doctor or a lawyer, I forget. I put it in the book. She had very specific things that she was looking for. And then she picked them. But I think it was the whole connection with Cardinal Cook thing that happened with my parents and the cousin. And I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know why. I mean, I'm a really spiritual person. So honestly, I can say spiritually, I feel that it all happened the way that it was meant to be. Mm -hmm. And I know that not everybody feels comfortable with that kind of thought. And I'm not just sugarcoating when I say that, like I went to the deep, deep bottom, dark places of (laughs) myself and I have felt time and time again, like it just worked all exactly the way that it was meant to be. Especially if I think about the connection, the bond that I had with my mother and father who raised me very strong bond. Like I, I was supposed to know them or something like that. Are they still alive? My mother has passed away. She passed away 2013. 
from my father is still alive. Yeah. He's in Boston. My sister's there. Oh, your sister's in Boston too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how are you in Seattle? I'll just ask that because I'm curious now you're in Seattle. Like, why am I here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I traveled here with my work. So I've been doing work with body and brain. Mm-hmm. It's a yoga and Tai Chi kind of energy practice. And oh, I, cool. I used this practice to heal and to work on my, it was really like a mental, emotional thing. I had to put myself back together. I had to do a lot of healing mentally and emotionally, basically. And it opened up into a spiritual kind of healing. So I got so much out of it. So I became an instructor and a trainer and a teacher. And now I've worked in several different cities around the U.S., running body and brain centers. And here in Seattle, I ran a center for several years. And now I just oversee some of the other instructors who are running centers. So a lot, of, a, a lot of adoptees could use this. You could have like an adoptee yes. training day or something. I know. know, I know. I'm thinking about that. And so also after I wrote Healing Tree, because part one of Healing Tree is my story. And part two of Healing Tree is also my story, but it's like, the tools that I use, the things that help me, the practices that really like helped me go through some of my really heavy, overwhelming emotion. So I have so much passion to share it with anyone who is interested in using it. So, well, say it out loud here where they can find you and all that stuff. And then we, of course, will put links in the episode for Mm -hmm. you. Yeah, well, it's the practice is called Body and Brain. And the best place really is to go to my website, daniellegaudet.com. I have videos there and I have services there. Of course, people can also look up Body and Brain locally and see if there's one in their city because we have them in many cities all over the U.S. But I'm trying to do some online work for people now because I'm meeting more people from all over. And some people have asked me about it. So I am preparing a program for people. Online. I feel like if you hooked up with, you know, like Rebecca Autumn or somebody from the, she did the documentary on the primal wound, like, you know, she's such a promoter. You should do like an adoptee healing day or something. I feel like there's uh-huh. so many people in me, like I'm hearing what you're doing. And I'm like, I want to go to that. Like, don't you feel that way, Sarah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I could use it right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I actually, I hope to be doing more with the adoptee community. Yeah. But what was her name? Rebecca Autumn? Rebecca Autumn. We'll send you her. Just, she's a good networker. Yeah. She was, uh, she was on our podcast in the first season with Nancy Verrier. The mm-hmm. primal oh. wind. She did. Rebecca did a documentary called "Reckoning with the Primal Wind." Yeah, I heard of it, but I wasn't able to find it. Is it easy? Can you just? It's see It's still anywhere? not available. It's hard. To, yeah. Yes, she has yeah. screenings here and there. Like she's having one in LA, but it, we'll it's ask her because sometimes to, she'll send us a code or something. We yes, can send you it can, to you. You could yeah, watch it. That'd yeah, that'd be great. Let me know. It was well, wonderful. Wow, you, what a what an amazing story! <laughs> it was really the whole like the whole. Have you watched Star Trek where you're hearing this information? It's like what? We're, we're in the office. We're all like <laughs> on bated breath in the office. Like, <laughs> and it was so it was such a deflated moment because she's like, "Do you watch Star Trek?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> you know, I was a million miles away from that. You know, I was, I was just a little, I'm not, I'm not surprised if you suffered from anxiety and things prior. And then all this happened at once at your age that you were going through it. Yeah. That's a lot. I could barely deal with things in my thirties that I went through with this and it's not as intense as yours. So I can picture the overwhelm of that. Yeah. So much overwhelm. And then after that, you know, everyone just being like, oh, how's your mother? And I don't know what mother they're talking about. And just suddenly I became displaced. Yeah. You know, sometimes it can make you feel even more. Yeah. Not like you don't belong even more. So it's, it highlights in a way, you know, well, I don't belong really with this family. And then, then I don't really belong here. Like with me, my sisters and my birth mother and they they were a family they knew each other so well even though we looked exactly like it was still i'm not part of it i didn't right exactly it kind of highlighted how different i still felt in a way loneliness really right Mm -hmm. the loneliness and disoriented you know i think before i met kate at least i just i just had my family and my family unit and we didn't 
you know, we didn't talk about being adopted that much. I didn't, I wasn't connected with the adoption community. There was, it was, that was me. Like, that was like la la land. Like that was me. Deep in the fog person ever. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I, it wasn't the fog and that fog definitely like there was a finger that snapped and it was like cleared in a moment, but I kind of am thankful that I was sort of protected when I was younger because I just felt at least I belonged in my family unit. Mm-hmm. But now that I had this other mother and this other father and these other brothers and these other, I was just like splintered. And everybody with good intention, they all want to love you and know you and want to be yeah. nice of you, but you're like, ah. Yeah. So I had to go within me, right? And so yeah. that like, yeah, that's thing. like, who am I? Who's this person? Not this person's daughter and this person's is, but like, where am I? That was what I was sort of desperate to find out. And I really am so thankful that I did, I mean, for so many reasons, but also I really feel it helped me to be able to maintain the relationship with my biological mother, with my whole birth family, because I don't know how you have felt, but I felt that in the relationship, it was like digging up triggers and wounds of being adopted. It wasn't like I would look at Kate and I wrote this in my book too. It wasn't like I would look at Kate and be like, I'm so mad at you for giving me up for adoption or something like that. I didn't, I couldn't, my synapses didn't fire that Connect way. Those things, disconnect, yeah. right? Yeah. But instead it would be more like, oh, I feel hurt if you didn't call me, you didn't invite me. Like this person said, I don't belong here. I don't, it was all like, it was too sensitive, that yeah. relationship. Those relationships were like on eggshells, like thin ice. I was easily hurt because it Mm -hmm. was digging up the wound. That's what I realized. So I had to like process my own wound and try to maintain. I wanted to maintain a relationship with them. I wanted to love them. I did love them, but it was like covered. I do love them, all of them. But it was at first covered by this ice, this numbness, Mm -hmm. this confusion, this hurt. It's excellent how you're describing it. I still have a little of that with my biological relatives on my mom's side. And I'm I'm digging a little deeper, trying to make the ice melt. Yeah. And, do, and, and it's no fault of their own. It's just that weird. I didn't do the work you did right away. I just went into like, I didn't know what I, you know, I didn't really, I was so unprepared. Yeah. And you had a big whammy at once, two parents right away saying, <laughs> let's call everybody, see everybody. Whoosh. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> God, (laughs) thank you for this and for sharing your story and for being here and what, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for offering this and having a place to support adoptees and let them tell their stories. Yes, of course. And I'm just definitely, we will provide all the links because I think you're, I think, This is sorry, I'm struggling with words at the moment. Well, I can see, you know, I know, I know Sarah well. I feel like she's processing like you're, it's, it's kind of ha- like deep. You're making me think of a lot of deep things. And I think she's, you're there too, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I ended up writing a book because I felt like I did a really deep journey to understand myself. I mean, it's not over, there's work constantly. Mm-hmm. Always. Always. I feel like every once in a while, I kind of turn a new corner or make a new leap. But some of it that was like waves crashing over me, I was able to find my way, navigate my way through that. And that's why I wanted to tell my story because I was like, what is this good for? It should it should be good for somebody else's journey. Yes. All of this that I've seen and felt. Yeah. And this this podcast will lead people to your book as well. So yeah, thank you. Thank Thank you you for being here. It was you really have such a light. And, yeah, uh, I'm sure I'm like a healing, you know, and this is a lot of a, that. I don't know if you ever read Journey of the Adopted Self, but no, it talks I a lot. Of, I need to read. Oh, boy. Journey of the Adopted Self. By BJ Lipton. This, this is what we're reviewing in our podcast this season. And nice. oh, it's excellent. <laughs> it's she talks about what happens, you know, at the end of the journey, like once they after the meeting and the reunion and all this stuff. And a lot of adoptees become healers, you know, and in in some form or another, Uh however that Uh is. So, Uh Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it, right. It's kind of the natural thing to happen after you did so much work on yourself. Yes. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Danielle. It's really nice Danielle, to meet thank you. you. It was so nice to meet you about too. Thank, thank you. Okay. You. okay. Talk to you yeah. soon. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. That was just an incredible story. I had no idea going in. You know, we talk about this often that we just we don't do extensive research on our guests in terms of their stories because we want to hear it. Yeah. And, you know, have it unfold organically. But and I like what you said about her that she's just a bright light because she is. She's yeah. just a really healer, not just a healer, but just her whole something about her. She's very sweet in her storytelling and. You know, I can you just that story with the Star Trek. It's like, what? And her age, you know, to go through that that age. I know a lot of people do, but I was older and we're still older. I'm still figuring this out. I think, God, that's a lot at 21. Oh, man. I know. Really. Journey, right? I want to do her healing stuff. I I want to look in my town. I'm like, I need that. (laughs) Mind and body. I can guarantee I don't have it here. You could have it near you, though. I bet you don't have it there. <laughs> yes. We don't even have an adoptees connect here. You know, that's so, I mean, you know, and it's not like it's anyway. You know, you could have an adoptees connect there. Could have an adoptees connect here. <laughs> well, she was wonderful. And what do we always say? Another great episode. Another great episode. Bye. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time.